Hello and welcome back to another edition of Podcasts from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. I'm going to get right to the point and tell you that my guest today is Michael Atkins and he's an expert, among other things, on elections. And he's become the go-to authority uh, on the fairness or mostly uh, otherwise of the new electoral amendments bill which has just passed through Parliament and which promises to make a complete mess of the 2024 elections to the point that the ANC, even uh, if it is as widely expected, forced below 45% of the vote, it could still command a parliamentary majority. If this sounds bizarre, I suspect you ain't seen nothing yet. When bills pass through Parliament, both houses, they normally go to the President for signing, upon which they become laws. Michael, welcome. And sitting on the President's desk now, or does it still have to go through uh, the upper house, will be a piece of legislation which he surely cannot sign into law, or can he? The Constitutional Court in 2020 ordered Parliament to come up with a bill that would allow individuals to stand in an election as independents and not to have to join parties. The Minister of Home Affairs appointed a ministerial advisory committee headed by former Minister Vali Musa, and it was divided on how best to do this. The majority chose one method, basically, as I understand it, choosing that the 400 seats in the National Assembly be divided between constituencies and proportional votes, and a minority opinion didn't like that, uh, and came up with something much more complex and which really created a tough hurdle for independent candidates. Now we have a bill, Michael. Does it in any way bring the two sides together? Good afternoon, Peter. No, the, the bill does not really uh, sort of satisfy any of our normal criteria for electoral systems. It was punted as what they termed a minimalist option where independent candidates were merely inserted into the existing electoral system or so the proponents thought. Back to your original uh, question, the uh, bill is currently before the National Council of Provinces and and Interestingly, they have called for a fresh round of public submissions, and it seems unclear what they might change or see differently, given that they already have access to all of the prior submissions, including around during September. And one may speculate that this is to uh, insulate themselves against criticisms of insufficient consultation. What it does mean is that the NCOP is unlikely to pass the bill before the end of of November, which would leave the president an extraordinarily short period of time to apply his mind to the bill and pass it by the December the 10th deadline. So there is actually some speculation that the president, if the bill is passed through the NCOP, may ask for a short Uh, extension of the deadline so that he can apply his mind to it. But as I see it, there's, uh, I don't see how the president can sign the bill, but we never know sort of what factors will be taken into account, what advice will be given uh, in that regard. It's interesting because because the two protagonists, uh, initially anyway, 
were both people quite close to President Ramaphosa. One is Aaron Mozzoletti, who's the Home Affairs Minister, who um, had to put together the Ministerial Advisory Committee to advise them on how to on how to meet the Constitutional Court's injunction. Uh, and the leader of that uh, advisory committee was former Minister Vali Musa. And he very strongly uh, argues for for the majority uh, opinion on on the on the reform, uh, which is not the one that his party or the ANC has chosen. And I wonder who will have President Ramaphosa's ear. Not only that, Michael, but even if even if he does have a, get a, a bit of time, let's say he gets a month or two months, end of next February, before signing off the bill, it it's still going to get challenged in court. I mean, or can the can the court? Can the court speak before he signs it? Right. No, the court can't do anything before the president signs it. If the president has particular constitutional concerns, he may first refer it back to parliament uh, to address those concerns. If he does that and the bill comes back to him unchanged or uh, not sufficiently changed, the president may then refer it himself to the constitutional court citing the particular constitutional concerns that he has. So that would be the quickest route. But as I see it, everybody is basically at the moment like deer caught in the headlights because nobody can actually say that they have chosen an absurd system that cannot work. And I know that that is a bold claim to make, but everybody is caught because it, it's not possible in polite company to admit that an entirely absurd electoral system has been codified into law. Explain to us what, what's been chosen and what's wrong with it. Our existing system is a pure proportional representation system. If you add individuals, being the independent candidates, onto a proportional ballot system, you fundamentally change the electoral system. It is not logically possible to insert individuals into a proportional representation system because proportional representation by its very definition is a system for political parties where you gain multiple seats in proportion to your support. Because individuals can only occupy a single seat, any multiples of a single seat's worth of votes that they receive, those votes or those extra seats are now sitting and, and there's nowhere for them to go. There's no way in a proportional system to deal with that. So let me, let me just it, ask you, yes. let me interrupt you, Marco. So what you're describing is a situation, let's say, where uh, um, the ANC in, um, in, a, in a, a ward or in a particular ballot um, gets uh, 100,000 votes um, and a, an independent candidate on the same ballot gets 200,000 votes. It's possible that the, um, that the votes for the independent might end up going to the ANC or some other big party. Um, th that's entirely correct because although votes are quote-unquote discarded, what happens is, if you may say, nature abhors a vacuum. So if 
the votes are discarded, existing votes essentially expand to fill that space. Now, as it turned out, turns out they expand in a distorted way, even on top of that being a problem in its own right. The, the manner in which they expand is skewed and biased. But essentially, the votes of the largest parties expand to fill that void, which means that uh, right from the outset, parties then occupy more seats than their corresponding share of the votes. So that is in itself an immediate distortion. And it, it literally does take the largest parties and give them a bonus of seats whenever an independent candidate has more votes than are required to fill a, a single seat. Big parties don't like this system. They don't like the, they don't like the appearance of independence on the horizon at all. And I don't think it's just the ANC. I suspect the DA as well. And they certainly wouldn't be that keen on sharing the votes, their, their spare votes, as it were, uh, with anyone else. With anyone else, there is almost a big party front against this, isn't there? I mean, this is this bill has gone through Parliament with not much opposition from from parties like the DA. Look, I, I can't really comment about the the motives of, of the parties. In some senses the other parties have tried quite hard in particular aspects of the bill to bring to argue for fairness. And the DA has tried hard to argue for a proper analysis of the proportionality problems. Uh, where I can say the parties have not raised an eyebrow are the relatively high signature requirements, for example, that that's just another sort of disparity that's been tacked on on top of the uh, distortions to proportionality. So I, I wouldn't like to speculate as to the motives of the, of the parties, but yes, not enough resistance has been raised to the fundamental problems. So what happens? So let's say um, we get to next February, the president um, has constitutional concerns. He finds, he, he passes it back to parliament to, to check who who can relieve him of his concerns. Well, actually, nobody can relieve him of his concerns because the bill, the the fundamental structure of the bill, cannot be remedied uh, simply because in provincial legislatures, uh, in, uh, independent candidates are on the same PR ballot as parties, and there is no way to remedy that within the confines of preparing for the 2024 elections. But if the president has those concerns and if he is willing to act on them, it goes to the constitutional court, which would be the most efficient route. Then there would be civil society bodies would join that court action and place before the courts a, a, a more detailed analysis of the consequences of the bill. And then we would have a problem because the, I'm confident the court is going to rule that the bill as constituted cannot meet the uh, constitutional requirements of in general proportional representation or indeed the Section 19 right to free and fair elections. At which point the court will invalidate that bill 
that leaves us with the existing electoral act, which the court has already declared to be unconstitutional in respect of excluding individuals from participating as independents. So the court then has a horrible knot to untie in terms of how the 2024 election is conducted. And there has been some discussion of compromises and deals and can something be done to, to rescue 2024 on the understanding that, that a new system will be put in place after that. But this, that process is a little fraught. Uh, if I may suggest, there is one compromise position which is potentially viable but could only arise during a court hearing. And the only, the only compromise I'm seeing clearly at the moment is that the national election gets conducted in terms of how the bill is structured with some modifications, the proportionality and fairness questions can be largely remedied in terms of the National Assembly because during the process of the bill, a second ballot was proposed. Essentially, to make this any kind of independent candidate involvement viable, you need a constituency ballot and you need a separate proportional representation ballot. So the very clumsy constituencies that have been put forward into the bill are whole provinces as constituencies, which is itself something of an absurdity, but structurally it works. So if they had the provinces as constituencies, a separate PR ballot, and with certain changes to the way the seat allocations are calculated in the bill, the the National Assembly could be made to be sufficiently fair that an election could go ahead involving independent candidates. However, because the provincial legislatures are a single ballot and there is no possibility of subdividing provincial legislatures in time for the 2024 election, there is no remedy. So it, one solution, a very unsatisfactory one, is that independent candidates may not contest provincial legislature elections, whereas they would perhaps be able to contest national elections with, with certain modifications. Given that uh, the court would then have to further condone the unconstitutionality that, that, that exists in that unsatisfactory arrangement. It's a, it's a, it's a real mess. And the truth is, though, that it's too late now, isn't it, to, to create proper constituencies for a national election, even if... Uh, correct. And, and if we were to hold this election under the old system, the, well, the current system, which is now, mm. we know is unconstitutional, uh, and assuming that one or two independent candidates get in to parliament, there might be very popular people, you know, Musi Maimani or Tuli Madonsela, um, Rossi Erasmus, you know, depending on how yes. we do in the World Cup. You know, let's say, let's be, let's exaggerate the number. Let's say Musi Maimani gets half a million votes um, and basically only needs 40,000 of those to, to get a seat in parliament and the rest drift off into, um, well, the rest are wasted in some way. He nevertheless, um, his mere presence in Parliament is as an independent is is interesting and and powerful. 
isn't it? Because presumably, if the ANC and if the ANC is pushed below fifty percent in the next election, as some polls suggest it will be, there isn't an obvious president, is there? I mean, what happens is that the parliament nominates, and there's a vote for who will be the president, and it's been the ANC for the past, you know, thirty years or so. But this time it might not be. I mean, you know, and it might well be that one or two independent, that one of a couple of independent candidates gets nominated as a kind of um, compromise candidate. There may well be a a strong reluctance on the part of the combined opposition to support an ANC president. And you're correct. If there is also no appetite to support a DA president, then to break the the logjam, you then obviously, as you say, have the possibility of a either a smaller party or an independent candidate, because that would be for the opposing sides the least worst outcome. We could land up with a very interesting scenario, even if the numbers of independents uh, are not high. Yeah, no, but you know, I try to put myself in the in, in the shoes of some of the politicians I know, and uh, you know, if, if the DA would get say twenty percent and the ANC forty four, forty five percent, and it wasn't enough, uh, somebody like Musi Maimani could easily stand up and unite the opposition. You know, that will unite a majority of MPs um, and get himself nominated as the head of state and former government. You know, you can pick and choose from the DA and the ANC and the UDM and the EFF for whatever government it is that, you know, might not be very stable, but it's interesting that it could actually politically, you know, it could, it's not even theoretically possible, it would be perfectly possible. I think we're certainly in for an interesting ride, but before that, I think the process leading to a court resolution is itself going to be quite rocky because if the president signs that bill, another thread of thought is that the IEC then goes ahead to rebuild their IT systems to uh, implement what is in the bill. And it's going to be rather painful if they take six, eight, nine months to devise new systems, during which time a court challenge eventuates and the court then rules the system to be unconstitutional. The expense, the muddle, uh, just the difficulty involved. Now, obviously, the IEC does have their existing systems, so there, there would be no problem going back to the existing system. But if we were to get the nightmare scenario of the court only giving a final ruling, say, into 2024, then then we are in nightmare territory in terms of the holding of the election. The, ele- the election can't be delayed, right? I mean, is, is, it, is it constitutionally possible for a court to decide to, to, to delay it for a six months or a year? Right. The uh, judgment and the, the cases before the courts during 2021 for the local government elections showed that there is absolutely no tolerance for the concept of delaying an election. And uh, I think we have to take that as a precedent because if the court ruled so strongly so recently, 
we can't work on, oh, well, maybe they'll do it differently because we can't have a constitutional court that uh, changes its own mind so uh, so quickly. So somehow we have to make it work for 2024 and we have to resolve the constitutional questions during 2023 at least. That sounds so close, Michael. I mean, it, is, it sounds... Um, it sounds like a crisis in the making. Or are we already I, in a crisis? I, I'm saying we are already in a mini crisis. The crisis is resolved, in my view, either by conducting 2024 under the existing system or a partial compromise where, as I said with modifications, the national election goes ahead under new rules and the provincial legislature's not. I can't see the current bill, even with modifications per se, I can't see that um, going ahead for 2024 because the court could not risk a challenge to the election after the fact. You know, a court can condone unconstitutionality, uh, you know, temporarily, but I would argue that you cannot condone unconstitutionality of an electoral process. You cannot condone an unfair election. That, that would be a, a, a red line. You can perhaps condone the unfairness that the rights of ind individuals to stand for elections continues to be limited. But you, you, you can't tamper with democracy to say, oh, well, it's okay if we have one unfair election. So Musi Maimani appears to be sort of trying to... Um... Um, had had a personal crisis off at the past, so he's formed a what is it, an association or a, a, a party he, he, of some kind to to deal with to deal with the problems that you're talking about. Um, he he has formed a political party, a conventional conventionally structured political party, and uh, this is in response to the structure of the bill. The original plan was to lead in, a, lead in loose terms a cohort of prominent independent candidates. But the bill, as it's structured, doesn't give those independent candidates a fair shake. And the way the bill is structured, those candidates would be cannibalizing each other's votes and collectively contributing to the largest party's seat share. So this Have they the moved too quickly, do you think? Look, I, I, I can't comment on that. The, uh, I understand the vision of changing the face of our politics by bringing prominent people in as independent candidates. The, the moment the bill was announced, that vision and plan was always going to run uh, run aground because of the structure of the bill. The only viable system is some form of constituency. So in the end, the uh, One South Africa had been sort of gearing up to announce a number of these individual uh, independent candidates, and they literally had to change their plans midstream. And their decision to form a new party is an entirely rational one, and reasonable one in the circumstances because the bill offered no prospect for their original vision to, to come to pass. 
What is the attitude and the behavior of the IEC being in all of this? I mean, are they are they supportive of the minority uh, opinion? What is, what has now become the bill? Do they defend it? Do they think they can pull it off? Well, if I may point out, um, two of the three panelists on the MAC were Norman Duplessis, uh, former deputy chief electoral officer of the IEC, and he designed their electoral systems in the late 90s. And then Pansy Klikula, who was a former chief electoral officer and former chair of the IEC. So one doesn't know to what extent, uh, you know, the, the former prominent leaders in the IEC uh, advancing this system. We, we don't know whether there is any uh, connection or correlation with the current leadership of the IEC. The current IEC has endorsed the bill, albeit that they made some substantive changes. They proposed the second ballot for the National Assembly because it hasn't been clearly articulated, but clearly they understood on proportionality grounds, having a single ballot for the National Assembly could not work. And that is why I said the National Assembly could perhaps be remedied. It is because the IEC proposed that separate ballot. However, they didn't take that to its logical conclusion and say, well, the same remedy would be needed for provincial legislatures. And subsequent to that, they have uh, endorsed the bill and they have dismissed the concerns, the numerical uh, scenarios that have been presented. They have dismissed the analysis that shows the uh, distortions to proportionality and the bias in favour of the largest party. For example, filling vacancies, uh, there is a clear numerical bias towards the largest one or two parties in any legislature if, if a vacancy uh, is, is filled by the method of recalculation they use. The, it's very easy to demonstrate that, and they have basically. Uh, uh, do, why don't you yes. just just give us an example? How would that? How does you see, that work? What, hap what happens is there is a recalculation, so the votes cast for the independent candidate get thrown out, but the seat stays in. Even so though the candidate gets, in, even though the candidate gets elected. Okay, let's say a candidate gets elected, and after a year vacates his seat. So now that seat remains in the calculation, but those votes get discarded. When you discard, quote unquote, discard votes, you reduce the quota in the seat allocation calculations. The largest party has a number, has obviously the most quota seats. When you reduce the quota, you reduce the cost of the existing seats that each party has. So the largest party has the most. So they, in a sense, get the largest discount. And essentially, by dropping the quota, you uh, take the amount by which the quota is dropped, multiply it by how many seats the largest party already has, and that is, in effect, the vote bonus that the largest party enjoys. And it is uh, not going to happen every single time, but in, in a majority of cases, the vacancy will be filled by the largest party. And the, there is no question. The, the, it, it's possible to write simple numeric equations to describe that effect. Michael, if, if, if nobody takes us to court, let's presume uh, the, the, the uh, Council of Provinces finishes its work, mm. 
the bill lands on the president's desk and he signs it by um, December the 10th, uh, which is the end of the extension that, that, that they've all been given. What happens then? Who takes this thing to court? Who, who puts in, who, how does it get back in front of the constitutional court? Right. There is a wide grouping of civil society bodies. With the possible exception of the AIDS issue, I don't believe we have had such a broad consensus or coalition of civil society bodies. So an offshoot from One South Africa is the Independent Candidates Association, headed by Michael Louie. They have done, in a sense, the most work, and there are meetings going on among civil society groups planning legal strategies. There are there's already preliminary uh, sort of consultations with council. But then we have the, the usual suspect, Outer, who have been in this independent candidate issue since the beginning. CASAC, uh, uh, Ravonia Circle have, are putting in a lot of effort to publicizing the problems with the bill. And then, interestingly, the Ahmed Kathrada Foundation and the sort of the broad grouping of Defend Our Democracy of call it more the old stalwarts of the ANC, are getting very actively involved. And among that range of bodies, almost certainly a constitutional challenge will be launched. Uh, reluctantly, given the, the cost and effort and, and the difficulties involved, but I, I have not seen such a a, a wide range. Among the bodies opposing the bill, for example, is this Solidarität uh, Trade Union alongside Defend Our Democracy. You know, there, there is a very broad spectrum of support with a, a very constructive set of engagements going on behind the scenes. So there's no, there's no um, sort of whitewashing this thing. I mean, it is, if, if, if the right bill isn't signed, it's going straight back to the Constitutional Court, um, and somebody's going to be made a real fooler by, by what happens there. Either the president or his minister or the, or the committee that, that uh, the Home Affairs Committee in Parliament that saw the thing through. Um, somebody's going to lose. I, I see sort of that egg-on-face situation as an inevitable outcome, for those who are pushing for a proper electoral system, th that is a, a secondary consideration. The Call it the political cost is not something that's high on anybody's agenda at the moment. But to my mind, it is an inevitable conclusion of this fact. The, the absurdity of the bill and the thought that we could do this quick fix um, is going to be laid bare in the court. And yes, I, I think there could be a few noses out of joint at the end of that process. It's interesting because I remember I first um, started talking to you when you tweeted something in response to an article I'd written, I can't remember, but where mm -hmm. I'd said, um, you, you pointed out that basically under with, with independent candidates, it was possible for the ANC to lose the majority of the, not not get a majority of the national vote, but still be able to um, uh, command a parliamentary majority. If the election is held under the old system, of course, that doesn't apply, does it? 
So if it Not gets forty five percent, if if it gets forty five percent of the vote, it's 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 basically going to have to form a coalition government of some kind in order to stay in power. Mm. Yeah, correct. I can say that through the course of the year, some of the changes to the structure of the bill and adding an extra ballot have reduced those disparities so that. For example, the ANC on 48% would now likely get a majority of the seats in the National Assembly rather than the 45 that would have been the case under the original bill. And the original bill was very poorly drafted. It, it was not, they did not interpret the electoral systems and the intent uh, very well in that original draft. Uh, Michael, uh, thank you very much for joining me. I mean, it's uh, it's it's such a complex issue, and and it's so important that we get that we get it right. And a lot of people, uh, let me tell you now, really do appreciate what you do on social media, explaining uh, where we are, where we might be going wrong, where we um, uh, where we might find a way through this. So much much obliged, much appreciated. Please don't stop. And thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with another interesting guest. Until then, bye-bye.